Welcome to episode 55 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre. If you want to be a guest on Stageworthy or just want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you like the podcast, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use, and consider leaving a comment or rating. My guest, Nina Leokino, is an actor, playwright, director, dramaturg, and the artistic director of Factory Theatre. Nina, thank thank you so much for for coming on. Um, you just opened uh, Acquiesce. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did how did that go? By the way, how was the opening? Ah, well, I mean, like anything, opening is I think one of the most harrowing, but also exciting days because I mean, it's the audience is you know ninety percent from you know the artist community, and then you have the media coming, of course. So. But it's always, for me, openings are always a, a rock and roll show, right? <laughs> because uh, you do have a very loving, generous, supportive audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's the beginning of kind of the next level of any performance uh, of the production, right? Because the journey, you know, often people think that openings are, um, you know, the end of, you know, yeah. Rehearsals are done. I can no longer give notes as a director, but what I always look forward to, and I always tell my actors on opening night, that, you know, you guys are ready to take this play to the next level. Mm-hmm. And that's going to come with, you know, repetition, right? Yeah. And and the organic nature of theater where every day is going to be a different performance and new discoveries are going to be made. And depending yeah. on who your audience is, you know, you kind of play off of that. So the play in many ways makes these little micro shifts and it just grows. And yeah. so I look forward to kind of seeing it again in the middle of the run and see how much um, the, the production has, you know, now that it had time, it has time to, to breathe and settle down and see where it's at. I think we sometimes forget about that, that moment because we're always so fo- focused on opening, on opening. night. <laughs> yeah. And then once we open... Like, you're right, we sort of think of that, that's the end, but then the show always no, does evolve. No, and again, you know, most of the things that we learn in rehearsal, rehearsal's only three weeks, yeah. right? And really, if you think about it, if you even break it down, you know, the first week is often dedicated to the table work. So lots of talking, lots of talking about the play. And then the last two weeks, you know, is the blocking and, and putting the actors, uh, you know, up on their feet and and really kind of testing out the, the words on the mouth, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then you have tech, you know, the, the week, days of trying to marry the technical aspects of the show, the transition from rehearsal hall. So you've been kind of rehearsing in this flat space, mm-hmm. you know, and in the case of accuracy, you've seen it, so you see this, you know, so imaginary things are happening in rehearsal that could go perfect in mm-hmm. your world, and then transitioning to the real stage where it's 10 times bigger and there are moving parts that the actors now need to learn in a span of hours, mm-hmm. right? So it's a lot, and so opening cannot be kind of the 
be all and end all of things and it's perfect and off we go. In fact, you know, some of some of the notes, the performing notes that I've given, I wouldn't be surprised if that finally starts dropping in in the second or third week of mm-hmm. the run. Right. But also, I mean, you have never really, usually you have never performed it in front of an audience before. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that informs what happens Oh, absolutely. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, my job has always, I've always looked at my job as a director, Jury, at this point that, you know, I'll take it to a point where I feel that the actors are confident to receive the next layer of information, mm-hmm. which is in tech week. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you can only do so much in the rehearsal hall. And once you've kind of outgrown that, then I know that the actors, you know, again, it's my, my quest has never been about perfection, mm-hmm. but just the deepening of, you know, the understanding of the world of the play and the characters and all of the arcs. But then when tech comes in, that's a whole slew of information that they need to receive and integrate into their performances. And that's a lot. And that takes time like anything else. Yeah. As a director, did you ever find it difficult to let go like that? No, <laughs> I, I, I have to say I'm pre- I'm one of those, I'm pretty good about like once the show opens, you know, I don't really want to come back just mm-hmm. yet. And, and because I really want to be able to reset my eyes and, mm-hmm. and uh, reset my heart in many ways. Like you go through such a grueling, rigorous, but very rewarding and very, um, you know, fulfilling process. And you know, like, but that's in the past now. And you need to be able to let the actors do what they need to do mm-hmm. and trust, you know, and and have confidence in them. And they need to they need to grow, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you're not only did you direct Acquiesce, but you're also the artistic director of Factory. Mm-hmm. And do you find, is there, what are the differences between directing a show and directing a theater company, what what do you see as the differences in those roles? Uh, I think it's 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 size and scope would be the kind of the first mm-hmm. big difference. But my philosophies on on you know the way I direct and how I direct and what I like in a room, um, I tend to carry that with me at a much larger scale. You know, my staff. You can say that my staff are my designers mm-hmm. and my actors. Um, and you can say that running a company, like we're perpetually um, in a rehearsal process, you know, <laughs> trying to wrestle with the question, trying to, you know, really deepen the process of, of creating and making theater for the community at large. So, you know, without with a perpetual opening night, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes, you, know, yeah. you know, so it's not that the opening night is never there. It's if we're always in constant opening nights, mm-hmm. you know, or aiming for always to be ready to present something to our audiences, um, whether it's a show, whether it's a workshop, whether it's, you know, a theatrical, any theatrical event on a day-to-day basis. I, I feel like, you know, we are creating um, to make, the world a better place, so mm. to speak. So for me, it is directing the ultimate production. <laughs> and, uh, and, and as an artistic director, and like a director, um, you still need a vision yeah. for people to hang on to, mm. for people to know what they're believing in and fighting for. Um, so, you know, my training as a director has really allowed me to kind of, you know, again, just take a step back and look at the bigger picture. So I have a stage with actors, with designers, and I'm collaborating, you know, to give you the best story possible. 
it's not any different to me as 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 the AD of a company where in yeah the stage is just us the community yeah. and other theater companies where we need to work together and collaborate to tell really important stories you know to create um, a healthy loving society mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> as as somebody who is uh, the artistic director I'm just curious about the, the your your journey to becoming not just the artistic director, but a director. Mm-hmm. And what brought you to the theater in the first place? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I think that uh, I, I started out in theater as an actor. Like, I, I was a professional actor since I was six years old. Um, in musical theater, no less. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I had really thought, I was one of those that really thought, you know, I was going to make a career uh, out of being a, 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 an actor. Never mind in musical theater, but, you know, just a theater actor straight on. And and so when I went into university, you know, of course, I I kind of put all my energies towards, you know, um, applying and, and going to kind of a conservatory-like universities for theater. I knew I was going to be in theater, period. Mm-hmm. I have no transferable skills <laughs> outside of that. I guarantee you, hence, I not have a part-time job that, you know... I'm really qualified for. I suck at everything else, um, but uh, for for theater, uh, you know, I think that my decision to become an actor um, at some point, you know, it was a, a lot of me listening to the universe. Uh, you know, when you get rejection, mm-hmm. right, and kind of going, okay, what, why, why am I not feeling the love and passion that I used to feel being an actor? Now, you know, so when I was at university, I was really, you know, second year in, I, you know, at the, what's that, the, the fork of your yes, life, the yeah. road fork or whatever you call it. And, and I was, I started to question that. I, I kind of got this nagging feeling at the back of my head that, that you know, there must be something more to this hmm. than me being on stage. And um, so sure enough, direction, I took a class in the fundamentals of directing uh, because a it was the only course that was available at the university that I needed to to take to complete my degree. Um, I was still t- taking theater studies in general. I kind of distanced myself from all the acting stuff and and just took theater theater studies in general, theater history, which I really enjoyed actually, and then took a course in directing. And no idea mm. that that was that I even had any inkling towards it, but I'm like, sure, why not? I might as well try it. And so it was two professors really in my life, you know, during that time when I went to University of Guelph that really influenced um, my way of thinking and really shaped who I am today. So Judith Thompson, who's Mm -hmm. a Canadian treasure playwright, was my professor. And... um, and Rick Knowles, who's also now retiring, a professor at Guelph, who's you know a theater academic god here in, in Canada. And so it was his class that I took. And I remember when I presented my final project and fundamentals of directing, and, and he took me aside. I'd been quiet the whole half semester, just listening. And the final project was for us to direct an excerpt from a play of our choosing. And so I did. I went through rehearsal, and that was fine. Like, I felt fine. I felt rather quite comfortable and confident in the position of a director and talking to my actors. And so presented a thing, and then he took me aside afterwards. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. I know it because, A, I haven't spoken at all and haven't participated actively, and now I present this 
thing that was he might think I really suck. And so he took me aside and said, you know, Nina, um, I think you have a gift of telling beautiful stories. Mm-hmm. And so that was one. So I kind of took that and said thank you and got a really good grade. Um, but again, how to process that? How, how was that going to affect the way I was seeing the world? Um, and then the next thing I know, Judah Thompson calls me to her office and says, uh, gives me a, a play and says, this is Mother Tongue, written by Betty Kwan, who was at, at that point, you know, one of the few Asian-Canadian playwrights mm-hmm. uh, in the country. And, you know, he, she just had her play published and said, I would like you to direct this. And I said, but I'm not a director, Judith. I mean, what am I going to do with this? And, and by the way, I'm the only Asian in the drama <laughs> program. What do you want me to do with this? It goes, find a way. And then... Uh, you know, I think you can, you know, apply a project, you know, and I will be your supervisor, but I think you should direct this play and, and present it to the university. And then so I said, okay, I'll think about it. And then she goes, you know, Nina, you know, I, you're a fantastic actor. Like, you've never lost that. I think that you're a brilliant actor. And if you want to keep going with that, fine, that that's great. But you will be one of the thousands of... Um, artists that mm-hmm. will be trying to kind of knock uh, you know that wall down um, but if you choose to be a director which I think is your true calling then you can be the door in that wall mm-hmm. for other artists and that really was the thing that solidified everything mm-hmm. for me like I wanted to be the door and so in terms of you know being a director is, is kind of the first step of leadership, right? Mm. Of accepting one's leadership because that's you being the captain of a ship and not being afraid to do that. And sure enough, I did notice, you know, while in the process of of directing that this was something that I was quite uh, comfortable in, that I didn't, my baggage of insecurity as a human being didn't play Mm. in the room, you know? And yes, it's, you know, the process is always stressful and anxious-filled and, as it should be. You're an artist. We're dramatic. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we create our own drama. <laughs> you know, um, but at the same time, um, there's a stillness and a calmness about the dangers um, that I wasn't afraid to face. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, so if this role brings the best out of me, mm-hmm. then maybe this is what I'm meant to be. Yeah. So I think for me, it's just accepting, you know, again, like knowing that I can never be the actor that I, I could be as a director, then I'm, I was okay with that. Like, truly, you know, the doors opening, yeah. opening another window. Like, that is true in my, in my case. And did, so I found my calling there. Did you ever, when you were sort of, like, trying to make that decision as to whether to be an actor or director, did you ever, did you struggle with it? Did it, did you fight directing? Well, that's the thing. I think for me, of course, I was disappointed admitting that, you know, maybe I, I'm not, as good as an actor as I think that I am. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? Of course, and you feel like you failed yourself. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. been, I've trained, I've been an actor since I was six, and I don't think that I'm a horrible actor. It's just I think that, again, where am I my best self mm-hmm. that I can help make the world a better place? Mm-hmm. And I think being the director is that answer. It's not that, you know, I, I you know, sure, I can, and I still take roles every now and again, mm-hmm. but it's not my priority. It's not, I don't wake up eating, breathing, uh, being an actor as I do being an artistic leader, being a director. 
Um, so, you know, I did struggle with the idea of failure and rejection, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, am I turning my back on being an actor? But I think that it was different. Like when, when uh, I get rejected as a director, there's no doubt in my mind that that's just a rejection. Mm-hmm. I will keep moving forward. And I have been in the past for sure. But it was very different when I got my first taste of rejection as an actor. I knew something was mm. was diff- like it. Yeah. I knew that it wasn't just a, a mere rejection. Yeah. There was a voice inside my head that was like, you know what? This is this is something else. This is something bigger mm. um, than than a mere like you know feeling really depressed and self loathing about my ability. Mm. And I don't feel the same way about directing, you know, and that I there, there's an assuredness in myself that I'm meant to do this. Right. And I think that applies, and that's the advice I always give to emerging artists, to, you know, fresh grads who feel like, you know, oh my God, am I letting myself down if I turn my back on this and accept? Mm-hmm. And I go, no, 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 like, you know, your job is to determine what your destiny is, and you have some control over that. But also to redefine what success and failure is for you, um, and and that could that would mean that sometimes can mean like getting your first gig at the Stratford Festival, or being an actor in a hundred seat capacity house at the yeah. Storefront Theater, yeah. and those can still have the same weight. It doesn't yeah. make you any less of an artist. Um, and and you know it's hard enough to be a theater artist here because it is about failures and rejections. But, you know, it's about kind of redefining what success and your triumphs are as an artist. I think that that in some ways, those of us who go into theater, we don't know what we're getting into. Because, you know, when we're kids, if we're one of those people who decided we were going to get into theater as a kid, Mm -hmm. our role models, people we look to, are the people who are either super famous, like, they're they're famous in some ways. Well, it's Hollywood. Yeah. Right? Or we Broadway stage. Yeah. You know, yeah. But even at. Broadway is still equated to like Hollywood. And yeah, yeah. Like that yeah. really is our notion of like, and even now I encounter artists who are like, yeah, you know, when I get stable enough and I get, I'm like, mm. dude, um, what planet are you on? Like <laughs> being a, a Canadian theater artist, there is no such thing as stability. Yeah. For me, I often, you know, I always encourage, you know, people to, you know, if this is truly your calling, you must embrace the impermanence of it all because mm. that is that is our calling. Even yeah. in history, theater has always been you know, like we, we, we live in poverty and yeah. in, 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 in the spirit of poverty, regardless of what your your economic status is. I think that suffering and pain, along with the things that contrast that mm. light and dark, you know, we that is our fuel mm. uh, to creating great work. Right. So uh, I, I don't this idea of like, you know, stability and fame and that is really the Hollywood dream. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's more of a Hollywood thing than a, than a real than a reality. Um, but it is what we what we somehow are expecting. And also the people around us, because sometimes I'll meet people and they'll find out that, you know, I'm I'm an actor or I'm a writer. Like, oh, have you done anything that I've seen? And oh, yeah. usually my yeah. answer is no, no. Well, also, it's like when I say I'm a director, it's like, oh, like, what films have you done? Again, that's the, you know, that's the association right away. Or if not, it's like, oh, like Lion King or, you know, (laughs) Miss Saigon. I'm like, no, no, no. And, and of course, Factories in the mid straddles, 
you know, it's 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 a venue company. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we do the odd musical. Sometimes, like we we're not, you know, we're right smack in the middle of all of those art forms. Somewhere in between indie and Mervish, mm-hmm. which is really. Like that's that's where I think factory factory Passamore and Tarragon sort of yeah, sit yeah. in that. In that well, I always say like factory has a shell of like a main a mainstream uh, organization, right? Because mm-hmm. we have our two venues, even though it's like you know in a much needed, tender, loving, cared um, Victorian mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, it it has kind of a shell of a mainstream venue co- a, a theater company, but. You know the guts of it is still indie theater, yeah, and so are yeah. our budgets. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, so yeah, <laughs> it's it's that it's it's the kind of theater that that I think. I mean, Factory from the I mean Factory from its beginning has sort of been sort of like an in, had an indie spirit, and yeah, so yeah. Past Ryan Tarragon as well. Yeah. That's where they sit, and that's yeah. where they've sat since they were founded in was the sixties or seventies, seventies, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is when there was this. Theater boom in Canada mm-hmm. founded these these companies. Yeah. And Factory in particular really yeah. is like one of the first theater companies during that time to you know to 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 have that mandate that you know we will only exclusively produce Canadian work mm-hmm. and Canadian work defined you know as you know created written whatever by uh, Canadian artists mm-hmm. right like the content doesn't need to be Canadian content but. As long as it was born out of a Canadian artist, yeah. that is Canadian work. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and that was, was back then a yeah. very courageous oh, thing yeah. to do, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, especially because I mean, at that point, who were the like? Did anybody know who the Canadian playwrights were? That's exactly you yeah. know that's why Factory was born. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. What does it mean for you to to be the artistic director of Factory? Does it mean well? More power, more responsibility. <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah, um, yeah it, it is. And, and that is it's the thing. Like my, I feel like, you know, the with my history and my track record in terms of my, you know, uh, theater career here in, in Toronto, never mind Canada, I, I see myself, you know, you know, even when I was AD of a, an indie company that I founded, Fujian Asian Canadian mm-hmm. Theater Company, as you know, I've always seen my role as a public servant. Mm-hmm. And so, if anything, being here at Factory, that's not changed, except that I feel like I have uh, maybe a slightly bigger back that I can carry uh, um, bigger communities on. Mm-hmm. And so, that's the thing for me: that the, the journey to bring voices from all shapes, walks of life, uh, and to bring um, uh, the Canadians' experience on mm. our stages, right? Mm. So yeah. Factory has just allowed me a bigger platform, a louder megaphone, you know, maybe slightly bigger um, funding. I only say slightly bigger because, again, I think that's a myth that mm-hmm. people have in their community of, you know, well, I have two venues and blah, 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 but... Sometimes it's it's it, it is truly a myth, but I think that my responsibility um, has just gotten bigger, and so just a lot more work to do, but good work nonetheless. Can you tell me about the, this season? What's different about this season in Factory? Hmm. Um, I think that um, you know, in contrast to last season, right, which was our naked season, which really revolved around you know, our Canadian classics and and trying to reimagine and, you know, 
um, restage Canadian classics that would make it relevant to our audiences today and of tomorrow. This one is a contrast in that, A, they're, they're pretty much kind of premieres, right? Um, uh, world premieres in some cases, like Acquiesce, uh, you know, and I think for me, you know, a season, putting together a season has always been, you know, the, the you know one of the core things of my job. And it's a chance for me to ask our audiences, you know, what are we going through as Canadians today? Mm-hmm. And here, here's a slice of answers, different kinds of answers, and maybe even more questions. So I think, you know, this season, it's a little bit, you know, I think people have called it groundbreaking or special or, you know, because it's 2016. It just so happens that the lens that I am looking through, you know, with these set of questions and answers are through kind of the immigrant lens. So all the writers um, or the creators of the season are of color. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as always, you know, striving for um, inclusiveness and diversity, uh, you know, we have key players, the key artistic players as well are of color or women, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, 50-50. Um, so I think that's, I would say that that's a, a maybe different. It shouldn't be. But that I think that's what makes the season, why the season's being highlighted. Mm. Um, but I think for me, you know, when I put, and these are artists, you know, the work behind the artists are artists that I've loved and admired from afar, from up close. Like I like with David, I have a special uh, relationship with him. But, you know, what they all had in common were them kind of redefining what uh, home was to them and not um, what being Canadian meant mm. to them, mm. right? Um, so, so, yeah, that's what, they, you know, and, and it's nice when you, when you come across, you know, when, when I was putting together the season, it's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> they kind of all work in that, in that sense. And that's what all of them had in common, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to to um, highlight those things. I think that that I know I think a lot of times when we see uh, the stage, there's a lot of white white dudes on it mm-hmm. behind the scenes mostly, but also on the stage, yeah. and that's getting a little tiring. And it's not really yeah. representative of what the Canadian experience is anymore. Yeah. And also, too, I mean, the excuse, you know, for me, it was just as important being who I am. Like, I am what the only, so far, I think, artist, woman artistic director of color of a venue company in mm. the entire country right now. Yeah. Okay? Because it's 2016. Yeah. So, I think it's naturally, you know, and again, this is just for people who know my work very well, like, I gravitate towards work that, you know, that... Um, is not necessarily safe. Mm-hmm. I gravitate toward towards work that tries to shake up the status quo, that that comforts the disturbed and disturbed, mm-hmm. you know, the, the people that are comfortable. Um, so <clears throat> it's, it, it, yeah, it's a uh, it's fascinating, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, you know, and and I think that it's important. It is important. It yeah. is important, especially. I mean, as we're recording this. It's uh, the day after the U.S. election, yeah. and yeah. 
I, where I work, there's a lot of rawness today about about what happened yeah, in the yeah, states, yeah. and I'm sure that there was some here, which sort of makes what's happening with the season here even more important. Just yeah, as, as Canadians to to stand up and celebrate the, our diversity. Yeah, I, I realize that you know, and I I think I woke up this morning, kind of going, oh boy, we 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 have so much more work to do. Mm-hmm. Like my work has now quadrupled, if anything. Mm. And um, and it's easy to kind of lose sight and and uh, and it's okay right now. I think I'm going to give us a deadline to kind of wallow in in the darkness for a bit. I think we need that. But it's funny because just today, my marketing manager, you know, put out a tweet and says, you know, hey, for people who want to get distracted, what's going on? Come see Acquiesce. Come see Enchanted Moon downstairs. And I actually I couldn't help myself. I. I tweeted back to my own company <laughs> and said, don't escape. Come to Factory mm. and confront what's going on. Mm. Come to our theater if you want to refuel on hope and passion and inspiration. Because this is what theater should be doing, mm. right? We need to be the fuel for the fight that's about to happen, that is going to happen. And we need to be the beacon of light. In, in these very, very dark times. I truly do believe that. So as much as I can go, oh, my God, there's just, you know, so much to do. And being a woman, being a woman of color, mm-hmm. like, um, it's it's a sad, you know, I, I, w- I was quickly put in my place at a very global level today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I woke up to kind of going, wow, yeah. I know where I stand, you know. And... Um, and then I thought about, yeah, like, thank God there's theater. Because yeah. I think that is a place where random people, random people can can commute on one night, sit together, and watch an experience unfold on stage and give them something to think about, yeah. you know? And not just have something that they could relate to with their own experiences, but actually learn something about humanity, other people's humanities. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I really want to urge um, our, our communities is that it's, you know, once you gain knowledge and understanding of the other, you gain a deeper and more profound understanding of yourself, too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily always have to be something that you relate to or that you necessarily have to understand right away. You know, sometimes the search and the discovery is the point, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think... Those are the kinds of works that I strive for to put on our stages. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you were talking about, you know, the sort of the stages that you went through this morning, waking up uh, to the news and then, you know, sort of the determination to this is what we're going to do. I saw that so much today mm-hmm. on Twitter and Facebook, yeah. just in terms of that sort of starting the starting point of like of almost despair to the determination later on. of Well, now it's time to make some fucking art. Yeah, we have to. You know? Yeah. It's just, you know, it, it's just sometimes, it's, you know, I'm still feeling it, the weight, right? Yeah, of course. You know, and that's why I say, like, you know, for people who want to cry, who want to just whine and complain, go for it. You know, but we need to have a deadline. And, yeah. uh, you know, two, three days from now, let's let's pick up ourselves and, and let's go, go, go. I think we do have to talk about it. And theater <laughs> is a good space. Is, is, like, the perfect Absolutely. place to talk about these things. Yeah. It's so... I've, one of the things that, that, one of the most exciting things, I don't remember the name of the play, it was one of the Off Mervis shows a couple of years ago, and it dealt with race issues. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first times I saw a show end, 
and people just not leaving, <laughs> but still talking. Mm -hmm. And that was so exciting mm -hmm. to see people like engaged in conversation mm -hmm. over what they've seen on the on, on the mm -hmm. play. Yeah. And I think that that's something that theater does in a way that film doesn't. Absolutely. And because theater too is like, there's an immediacy mm -hmm. about it, right? Like you, uh, you know, film captures, you know, time in a way that theater can't because again, time in theater is fleeting. You mm -hmm. can never get back. And even if you come back tomorrow, it'll again, different. it'll be different. So in many ways, and then you have to also understand, like, even when you take a step further back, like, you are going to a night where whether it's comedy, drama, you know, Lion King or something like Acquiesce, like, there are, you know, these actors that you see on stage and every light that's called by the stage manager and the house technician, like, these are, this is their jobs, yeah. right? To kind of pour their hearts out every single performance mm -hmm. and be vulnerable to a group of strangers again watching a story and they need to give that of themselves every night and I think there's no no other art form you know uh, does that mm -hmm. you know and that you know visual artists you know do it in a different way but you can hide behind the canvas yeah. you know novelists you know you can you know it's through your words but for 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 theater this orchestration of you know like yeah that's that's our hearts on stage right then and mm -hmm. there you know, and some are more intangible, like even direction, <clears throat> because it's like, you know, what can you see of me there? But I'm everywhere. Of course, you know? yeah. And, and, you know, some are more tangible than, but yeah, that's, that's our living, breathing thing on stage. And, and, and we're allowing complete strangers to, to watch it, to listen, maybe sometimes even to judge it, yeah. you know, to criticize it, but it's, it's us nonetheless, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I think is it can be can be difficult um, in theater is bringing in audiences. Mm -hmm. I remember it was a couple of years ago that um, uh, Derek Chua and a number of other people organized a conversation, mm -hmm. uh, and it ended up being at uh, Pass Rye yeah. about where the audience is, how do we get them back, and, mm -hmm. and not a whole lot came out of that as far as resolution. I'm wondering mm -hmm. what it, how is it, what is Factories, how does Factory look at, or you, how do you look at bringing in audiences into the theater? <laughs> Man, one production at a time. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's so unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And I can't, you know, if you asked me at the beginning of, like, last season, would we, you know, I wouldn't have told, like, I wouldn't have predicted any of the success that mm -hmm. we had last season. Do you know what I mean? It, it's just so... Like, there's just no formula. Just when you think you're on the brink of, like, actually, and then it completely changes mm -hmm. again. And the assumption that, um, oh, if you put more diverse works out there, then more diverse audiences. And, like, that's not, that's, again, a myth. Because me running an Asian-Canadian theater company, you know, years and years ago, and then even Cahoots, when I took over Cahoots, it's, that's not the case, mm -hmm. you know? And yet, I can tell you with Banana Boys, for example, last season, yes, like majority of our audiences were Asian Canadian, mm -hmm. new generation audience who loved it and fucking sold that show out, right? Yeah. So, but it doesn't apply to the next Asian, like, it doesn't no. apply to the next Asian Canadian. It doesn't mean that, no. right? So there isn't, it's, it really is, you know, for us, 
we've learned to kind of just accept that, you know, maybe there isn't a code to break. That mm. So for me, it's just what I'm actually looking at more, you know, me as Nina Leakina is like how to make theater part of, of our cultural fabric more. Because yeah. in Europe, for example, in Germany, that's it. Like everybody after work, people go see theater. Yeah. That is... That's not a chore for them. That's not like asking because artists asking for a favor, come see my show, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what they do. Yeah. And then they go for a pint afterwards and talk about what they've seen. So, you know, theater is really integrated into their daily lives. And so is their education system. Like mm-hmm. there's no there's no separation. But I think because um, Canada's theater history is still quite young, yeah. relatively, it's just not, you know, hockey is more yeah. a thing, right? Like sports events is more a thing. And now with Netflix yes. coming in, yeah. it's it's even more harder. It's Absolutely. the competition to kind of just stay inside your condo and binge watch. Well, that's the question is, is right? how, do you, how do you do something that convinces somebody to get up off the couch and come out to see a thing? That's the I mean, unanswered yeah. question. Because I myself do that, okay. right? We like, all I mean, do. it's, it's yeah. so tempting, but I think here's the thing is that the trade off for these very, very dark times that we're about to enter, maybe, maybe a change will come. Mm-hmm. Maybe people who have been indifferent and apathetic to arts and culture being an instrument or a tool or a vehicle for change, maybe they'll. Maybe this will be a turning point. I hope so. Yeah. So, but that is that is a big question and something I, I don't have yeah. answers myself. Yeah. Um, you know, we live right beside this new brand spanking new condo. Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. knows if we're able to tap into them? I can yeah. flyer. We can flyer <laughs> each. You know, put it in every door. Talk to the property manager, yeah. but. If they don't want to come see theater, it's not just about factory. They just won't come. And also, <clears throat> again, theater here is more of a, of a bigger event than we make it out to, right? Like yeah. you go opera, you go ballet, you dress up. Yeah. Whereas with factory, we encourage the opposite. You know, we come mm-hmm. in who as you are, jeans, yeah. have a beer. You know, we don't have state-of-the-art comfy seats and, yeah. you know, plush you know, heated bathrooms and whatnot, but you know, guaranteed, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a, an experience whether yeah. you like the play or not. Like my my goal is to have people just see theater, whether they like the shows or not, mm-hmm. as like in cinema. Yeah, because we've seen a lot of crappy we've, films. We've, we've seen a lot of crappy films, but yeah. we still go to see film. Yeah, and it's funny because I have encountered people who are like, oh, I saw a play once and I didn't like it. Exactly. Like, what and that's is that? It. What is that? Right? And that's it. Yeah. You know? Because again, I think that for first time goers, it's like seeing that immediacy, mm-hmm. you know, is too much. Whereas we're used to yeah, that. That's yeah. what we thrive on. And I think, yeah, if anything, like for me, I'd like a bigger um, gathering, really, of how to make theater um, an important part of Canadian life. Right? You know, it, it should be, but it, it's really not right now. I just just sort of nursing a theory. I think that some of it might have to do with the fact that we, as as Canadians, don't, aren't really good at talking about ourselves. No, and we're really terrible <laughs> about talking about our accomplishments and and and. Uh, That's why we don't yeah. have a star system. Well, exactly, because right? because we're too polite to say I did this or mm-hmm. look at mm-hmm. so and so they did this. Yeah. But I think I think when we learn how to do that, that maybe we'll we'll get noticed a little. Yeah, bit more. yeah, that's no, true. And and again. 
you know, you have, because we are, you know, uh, an intercultural um, kind of country, right? Like, how to reach, you know, the next generation. Like, I don't think I'm going to see it in my generation, mm. to be honest. Um, so right now, the way I see it is I'm working towards my daughter's generation, mm-hmm. you know, and she's nine years old. And I think she's still going to be working her ass off to, if she decides to work in theater, um, to, to get the audiences, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that'll be like maybe her daughter's generation. Yeah. But that's still a good goal to work towards. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 there is hope for the new generation to really, um, you know, if the theaters go the way we need it to, um, if Factory can be that example of like, you know, put a prismatic, put the, the real prismatic Canadian experience on stage, meaning all kinds of voices, all kinds of stories, then maybe we have hope, mm. right? Imagine if all theater companies kind of turn in that direction and then start appealing to the younger generation, yeah. the demand for high school and for university to get funding in order for them to keep seeing theater, um, increases and then off we go right so and also to be able to inspire more diverse artists to come out because that that's the thing that's a cause and effect is that you know in terms of the 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 number of diverse um you know like students theater students of color Mm -hmm. is also low yeah right not a lot of us you know go to conservatories because they think they have no place and they think their stories will not be welcomed and that their accents will be um, whitewashed. Mm -hmm. Like, do you mean, and that Shakespeare is the only thing that they can do Mm. um, and they're allowed to do. And so I know my place here. I know how important my, my being here is Mm -hmm. and what I can symbolize to other Filipino Canadians, yeah. for example, um, artists who want to be where I'm at. So, yeah, you have to keep fighting. Yeah, it's a good fight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you were. I mean, you've been talking about how you know the work that you do is not safe. You don't. You're not drawn to safe theater, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that will draw people in because I think that if we're seeing safe theater, we're bored. Yeah, you know, but but again, I think <clears throat> sometimes. Safe is associated with perfect mm. and polished and refined. Yeah. And and those are things that make people happy. Mm. And those are things that make people understand things right away. Yeah. And dangerous theater and, and stories that, that celebrate danger and difference, they're raw and sometimes mm. messy and dark and and you don't necessarily understand things right away because it's not in your bubble. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's not important. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, and it's just allowing different voices to take center, front and center, yeah. and that the universe mm-hmm. doesn't revolve around your understanding all the time. So that's why I try and stay away from the word universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because for me, universal is just... It, 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 it says to me, it's like, oh, if it's universal, it's mean, it means it's good enough. Yeah. Or that it meets your white standards. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and fuck that. Like, I mean, I, I love, I love, like, I'm, I'm about celebrating and honoring differences. Yeah. I'm about honoring and celebrating and exposing, you know, the voices of other and, and the marginalized voices. And, and again, some of those voices come from 
places of trauma and uh, of war. Um, and But we need to see those, mm-hmm. you know. And it doesn't mean that those stories don't have any humor or light, right? And again, just, you know, we're happy people. Brown people are happy people, <laughs> you know. But again, it, it, I think it's just not allowing everybody to, to just simply escape. Mm-hmm. Because we can't. We can't no. afford to, especially now no. more so than ever. No. And right? it's interesting because the, the safe theater, the, that, that clean, polished, safe theater is something that we can easily forget. Yeah. And that stuff that's not polished, that stuff that disturbs, that stuff that is, uh, uh, that is difficult, that stays with you. Yeah. Which is more important. Yeah, I think so. But again, right now, our definitions of excellence mm-hmm. and um, standards of like, you know, what a, what a polished, perfect Canadian play is, is, is still very rooted in Eurocentric ideals, mm-hmm. very rooted in realism and naturalism and the Aristotelian, you know, like introduction, rising yes. action, conflict resolution, yes. you know, yeah. that linear one, you know, that's nicely kind of packaged with a red bow in yeah. the end. And there's so many ways of telling different stories and not every story has to have a climax yeah. and not I mean, why do you think some of our national treasures like Carol Churchill or, you know, didn't believe in that bullshit. Yeah. And and um so but right now I still think we have a long way to go of not only diversifying the people on our stages and the leaders, uh, you know, to let the people on our stages, but diversifying our notions of what a Canadian play is. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Well, this has been, this has been really great. Thank you so much for, for well, talking to me. Well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank you.